I became a pastor in October of 2014, which was about three months after my father died. I was young. People said I was charismatic. I had gone to seminary, even though I was a bit of a seminary dropout, but I still knew my shit. And even though I wasn't sure of what I believed in when it came to supernatural things, I knew that I believed in community and seeking justice and that the church was a really unique institution that allowed for creativity when it comes to investing in those things. So when the opportunity presented itself, I went for it. And leading up to a national pastors conference and a sort of orientation program for new clergy in the denomination, I had to take a bunch of psychological and personality exams, which I think is a really valuable process. When I had gone out to Chicago, I received a packet with all the information from the test, with notes from the clinician that administered the exams. Mind you, within the weeks leading up to the exams and this conference, I had experienced three panic attacks that I hadn't told anybody about. Well, I didn't realize it, but I couldn't hide from these tests or this clinician, even though I apparently tried. Here are just a few things the report said about me. It said that I denied a significant number of very common psychological difficulties and that this is common among those who are defensive and want to be seen as unrealistically problem-free. It also said that the clinical scales indicate he does not see himself as experiencing significant emotional distress. However, elevations among his clinical scales and subscales suggests that he represses negative feelings and avoids unpleasantness with others. The report went on to suggest spiritual direction and therapy, neither of which I invested in at the time, and concluded that I may benefit from addressing my anger with how my father died and with processing uh, issues from my childhood as well. And as valuable as this information was, and it definitely foreshadowed the complete psychological and emotional wall that I hit five years later. It ended up being from my eyes only. No one else knew that I was nowhere near ready to become a pastor. But I suppose that's why the system keeps doing harm, not only to people in church, but to those of us that try to make a vocation of it. As Michelle Clifton said in a recent episode, in evangelicalism, we're expected to be perfect, to put the best parts of ourselves on display. And then at some point, when we finally realize that that's not sustainable, it feels too late. For me, I was constantly filled with shame, but had become a master at repressing negative emotions to a point where I apparently believed that all was truly well with me. But as it turns out, all was not well. But looking back, when I think about my interactions with people, my time serving in church, I wasn't lying to people about what I was going through or about how I was doing. And honestly, I'm really not sure I love the idea that I was lying to myself either. Because lying feels like an intentional act. Something we're doing to cover something up. That's not what I, or even really most of us, are doing when we've been brought up in a worldview that demands perfection. 
when you've been raised that way, there's no room to acknowledge the ways in which we aren't perfect. For me, I was doing my best to be authentic and to just speak from my heart. And people would pick up on that. One of the most consistent things I'd hear from people is that they appreciated how much I was willing to share about my own struggles when I'd be leading music or preaching a sermon. The problem is that I didn't have the tools to identify or acknowledge some of the things that were the most true or painful for me. But because of the way I was raised to think, along with the way my family functioned, I learned not to trust my emotions. Even more, I was taught to fight against them. I'd become convinced that any feelings that were not connected to loving and serving God were a distraction at best or an attempt of the devil to deceive me at worst. But the older I got, and the more I got to know the world outside my family of origin and the church, the more disconnected I felt from a world where there are two powerful deities, one good and one evil, fighting not only over the world, but my individual soul. The last worship song I wrote started off with the line, In a sea of doubt I stand, in a world that wants my soul. There's a hope I've understood, but now I'm overwhelmed. Remembering this song reminds me that I was starting to get in touch with my doubts and write them in a way that felt consistent with how I was reading some of the Psalms in the Hebrew Bible. And at this time, I was still very much taking the Bible and my faith as seriously as I knew how. So when I read those Psalms, what I saw was people expressing every feeling you can have. Doubt, fear, pain, anger, joy, you name it, they expressed it. But when I wrote those words and sang them in church, it became very clear that that wasn't the place for me to express anything other than ancient hymns that you needed a theology degree to understand or pop songs expressing Valentine's Day type love to my invisible boyfriend. From time to time, I think about the reality that I repressed a lot of emotion and unpleasant feelings. And then I look at this very raw and honest song that I wrote and led my Southern Baptist church in. And when people didn't like what I wrote or what I would say, like they did with this particular song, I would often try to prove myself to them by writing a song to show that I was orthodox or I'd invite them to come volunteer for me at the lunch program I ran so they could see that I wasn't some rebel, but that I loved God and wanted to be like Jesus. I would make it my mission to be understood and to find common ground. But the truth is, there was really no common ground to be found. One of the other things the report said about me is that I have a strong need for approval from others and may fear showing my negative affect lest others disapprove. Looking back, I can definitely see that. Although I would have said my motive was to promote peace and unity, it's more true that I had a need to be understood and to have people approve of me. Turns out, one of the things that I feared my whole life ended up being true over these last few years, and then specifically when I released the first episode of this podcast. Of course, I ended up receiving a ton of positive feedback and noticed people rating the podcast five stars on iTunes, which is always nice to see. 
And then there was this flood of one-star ratings. And for whatever reason, people were not happy with the episode or with me in general. And they showed that disapproval to me by rating my podcast one star. Now, I share this not because I care about how many stars my podcast is rated, but because I realized that seeing people disapprove of me or what I put into the world didn't deter me from moving forward. In fact, I noticed that it served as a catalyst for my growth. Now, I have no idea what people's intentions were, but all I could do was look at it, feel whatever I needed to feel, and use it for energy that would push me further in the direction I want to go in life. As my friend Rabbi Randy drilled into my head over these last few years, everything is grist for the mill, which just means that everything is useful for growth and learning. And as my friend Manny always says, the noticing is the thing that matters. Paying attention to what's going on inside me when something happens, when there's a disappointment, when something doesn't go the way that I thought or hoped it would go. Just notice how it feels in my body. Pay attention to the natural reactions that come up for me. That alone is the most valuable thing. I think when I look at all of this honestly, the only conclusion I can come to is that I never knew myself when I was an evangelical. And there's no more effective way to control someone than to convince them that their mind and their body are telling them a lie. I'd become so convinced of this narrative that I was deficient, that I was the offspring of Adam, which meant that I was born sinful, or as the Apostle Paul would say, there's nothing good in me, as though that was some kind of virtue. I believed this so deeply for my whole childhood and adolescence that I'm pretty confident it still lives in me. In fact, I know it does. Anytime I say that I hate myself under my breath or believe that my family members would be better off if I wasn't alive is proof that this mind fuckery still takes up residence in my brain. I don't know how long it's going to take for my mind to be rid of these thoughts or if it ever will be. Because truth is, this way of viewing myself was drilled into my psyche in my most formative years. All I know is, this worldview robbed me of knowing and loving myself for who I am without this bullshit that I'm somehow evil or broken. So for anyone that wonders why myself or others who have left evangelicalism feel the need to talk about our experience the way we do, you should know that it's because we're never truly rid of it. But I need it to stop with me. I'll do everything I can to make sure my kids don't internalize these same lies about themselves. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If you want to keep up with the podcast, subscribe to whatever platform you're using to listen right now. You can find a consistent conversation happening on TikTok if you search my name, Dave Capozzi, and on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Dig New Streams Podcast. Until next time, Peace, my friends.